Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood and it's story time. I'm a little late getting this one, this episode ready to go this week, so I'm not going to belabor things. We'll go straight into the uh, chapters from the Pericles. Con <clears throat> we'll go straight into the chapters from the Pericles conspiracy. I do have some uh, cool news and an important announcement to make. I'll handle that after you get done these chapters. Uh, so this week is chapters 51 and 52. As you recall, there are 63 chapters in the book, so we're getting near the end here. And uh, action starting to pick up a little bit. And as you may recall from last time, uh, the Joe and her companions had made it to Gagarin Station and uh, fought off the guards. They met them at the dock and, and then got uh, stuck in the lift elevator when uh, Deputy J Director Chandini and company uh, tried to seal them in to stop them from getting the incubator off to the Agrippa. But they uh, managed to get get out of the elevator, and now we're moving on to see what the heck they're going to do next in their quest for justice. And notice, no social there. It's actual justice. Uh, anyway, I uh, hope you guys enjoy these next two chapters. I'll talk to you on the flip side. Chapter 51. Hub. Past the hub access doors was a wide expanse of open air. In a different environment, it would have been impossible to navigate. But in Zero-G, it was child's play to push off from the doorway leading into the lift and propel themselves onward, or rather, inward. As many times as she had been here over the years, the central corridor of the station, of all five stations really, always took Joe's breath away. It stretched apparently endlessly in both directions with only the transport tubes in the center to break up the hub's expanse. In eight locations around the hub's circumference, constantly moving as the ring they led to rotated, were pairs of matched doors, identical to the ones Joe and her party came through, but no one else was immediately visible. The area was well lit by lighting bolted into the walls in every direction, but it still seemed a place of mystery, as odd as it was compared with normal existence on board ship or planetside. Joe looked back as they floated toward the transport tubes in time to see the doors they had passed through close, sealing them in. There was no turning back, even if they had been so inclined. It only took a few moments to reach the central transport tubes, and Joe was relieved to find a transport sled waiting ready to receive them at this level station. The sleds were designed to move cargo as well as people, and it took only a few minutes to latch the incubator in place, and then the four of them strapped into the couches in the forward area of the sled. A few seconds later, after Joe selected their destination level on the control console, they were off, heading upwards towards Starliner Level 3, where fate awaited them. The acceleration was impressive. Joe felt herself pressed forcefully against her couch, a familiar sensation that very nearly matched the force she felt on initial liftoff from any number of launch complexes, except that this acceleration lasted a fraction of the time. She barely had time to register the force and brace herself against it before it was gone, and the sled had moved from the station into the transport tube, hurtling toward its stop several kilometers away. In just a short couple of minutes, the sled's brakes fired, and it veered off from the main tube, causing Joe to once again brace herself against acceleration forces, although this time she felt as though she was going to fly forward out of her seat and past the sled's bow. And then, just as soon as it came, the acceleration was over, and the sled coasted to a stop at another station, identical to the one they had departed except for a large sign that read Starliner Level 3A off to their right. They sat for a moment in silence. I can't believe they let us get this far, Joe said, finally. She had been more than half convinced they would have met nothing except for rifles as they emerged from the hub access doors. The fact that they had been made this far without molestation was amazing and troubling. What was going on? 
Maybe they did not expect us to get out of the lift, Malcolm replied, though his tone and expression were doubtful in the extreme. More likely they're lying in wait ahead, Thomas said as he and Grant unclipped from their restraint harnesses and kicked themselves up out of the sled. They both unslung their rifles and panned about, looking down their sights carefully for threats. Joe frowned. They had a good point. Chandini certainly would have had a backup plan at the ready. It went beyond naivete to expect anything else. Given that near certainty, though, Joe felt a surge of guilt. She and Malcolm would be blasting away aboard Agrippa. The brothers would be left on their own, to fend for themselves. To be imprisoned, or worse. She shook her head. She could not be a party to that. Unhooking her harness, she kicked herself upward to join them. You two stay with the sled, she said, as she became level with them and placed her hand on one of the sled station's support guarders to halt her ascent. Malcolm and I will take it from here. The brothers gave each other long looks, then Grant spoke. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Joe glanced between the two of them. They both looked resolved, serious as hell. There's a lot more trouble here than we planned on, she said. I need to keep going, but you don't have to. Grant just laughed, a bitter but strong sound as he looked at her as though she was daft. Thomas sniffed. You don't get it, Joe. That was the first time he had ever called her anything other than Captain or Ma'am. Joe quirked an eyebrow at him. Jervis didn't assign us to this. We volunteered. Grant nodded agreement, but let his brother speak for them both. We've always wanted to do something important, and this... Thomas spread his hands and trailed off. Silence loomed for several seconds, then Grant, glancing with momentary chagrin toward his brother, took up the conversation. First contact, he said, his voice awed. This is something we, that all of us, all of humanity, have been dreaming about for centuries. And now it's happened, and our dumbass government is going to fuck it up. He shook his head. We can't let that happen, even if it means we... He swallowed and shrugged, looking down at the sled and the cargo. Well, you know. Thomas swallowed and nodded. We'll see you to the ship, no matter what. Right then, Joe could have kissed them both. As it was, she felt tears welling up, unbidden. This was not what she wanted. They were young, just getting started, with so much to look forward to. It was too much what they expected her to accept from them. Had that old phrase go, the last full measure of devotion? That was what they were offering likely what all of them would give, herself included, and likely without achieving their goal. She could accept that for herself. She'd come to peace with it somehow, some time, but not for them. She had no right to do so. It was her burden, not theirs. She shook her head, but Malcolm spoke from behind her, stopping her protest. We all knew what we were getting into, Joe. You're not alone in this, never have been. Grant nodded, smirking. Look at it this way. Someday, they'll name high schools after us. He looked aside at his brother, then his smirk became a peaceful smile that he turned to include her and Malcolm in as well. All of us. She almost broke down then, almost. But years of training, and especially her years as captain, came to her aid. She steeled herself to calm and wiped the budding tears away before she realized what she was doing. They were right, of course. And even if they weren't, it was too late to back out now. There was no way any of them, even the brothers, would get off this station without a fight, or at all. Might as well get about the job, then. Joe inhaled deeply, then nodded. Okay, let's head out. Chapter 52 Round and Round The star ladder levels were arranged differently from the ring levels. Each level was actually divided in two, about three and a half kilometers apart. Level A attached to the bow of the star liner, B to the stern. Within each sub-level, there were no rotating doorways, no rotation at all. Zero-G ruled until one actually reached the loading rings, which turned, along with the Starliner's two living and cargo rings, to generate artificial gravity in the loading sections of the station and aboard the Starliner itself. 
Consequently, navigating from the sled station to the loading ring access tubes was a bit more complicated than from the station to the station rings. Once Joe's party left the sled station, they had to maneuver around the outside of the transport tube complex until they reached their desired berth, berth 3, and then they could push themselves upward using guide cables to maintain their course until they reached the access doors on the hub's outer wall. This is terribly inefficient, Grant muttered as they touched down, for lack of a better word, adjacent to the doors, floating cargo around like this? Joe smirked and gestured toward the hub's inner wall adjacent to the doors. Embedded into the wall was a large conveyor belt-looking device with davits where standard-sized shipping containers could be strapped. No one ships large cargo loose, like we have it. It all goes into the containers and has a different access into the ship. She gestured upward along the axis of the hub, where a few tens of meters away were larger doors that led into separate tubes specifically designed to ship cargo into the loading rings and then downward toward a separate set of connections that led from the hub wall to a different sled station where they could be used. From its size, it was built only for cargo containers. The sled we took was for passengers and for their personal baggage. Grant blinked, then his eyes widened as he tracked toward where she was pointing. At first, she thought he was impressed by the size and elegance of the design. Then he scowled, surprising her. You mean to tell me we could have just hidden ourselves away inside a cargo container and saved all this sneaking and stalking and maybe getting shot at? Joe recoiled slightly, the irritation getting the better of her for a second. Oh, it was understandable considering what he and his brother had faced, but it was so wrong. There is no way to open those containers from inside, Grant, Joe said just as gently as she was able to. He opened his mouth to protest, but she held up a silencing hand. And they're all lined up a month or more before loading, and all are inspected. Even if we could get ourselves into one and ship it, we would have either suffocated within it or been killed by the scanning devices. Those were particularly high energy, and were the reason why one did not ship pets or other livestock aboard Starliners, at least not as cargo. Each ship carried a small number of cryosuspension units that could accommodate animals, but the waiting list to get onto one of those was long. And for good reason. The last thing one would want to do was bring an alien creature onto a different world. Some number of pets or other domesticated animals were likely to escape, and they would have no natural predators on the new world. Even just a few members introduced from an alien species could have cataclysmic consequences for the world's ecosystem. Grant nodded slowly, the bitterness that had flooded into his gaze leaving as quickly as it came. He gestured toward Thomas, who pressed the control pad for the loading ring access doors. A moment later, with a slight gust of air, as the pressure between the loading rings and the hub equalized, the doors opened. Joe's group proceeded onward. The access tube stretched a kilometer or more away from the hub proper, running straight and true, and wide enough for a dozen or more people to float down its entire length. Now, as before, there was no one else visible anywhere. This was not so unusual. Procedure dictated that the ship be cleared of personnel, and only minimal personnel allowed within the loading rings during fueling and settling. And most of the loading ring personnel would be stationed within the cargo holds, security guards, inventory clerks, and the like. There would be no need for commuter assistance personnel until time to load the passengers next week, so Joe fully expected to encounter only electronically secured access doors the whole way into the ship. All the same, for whatever reason, the lack of people made Joe nervous. Looking aside at her compatriots, she was not the only one. Time for a pep talk. She turned around to face the others, her momentum continuing to push her backward toward the end of the tube. But Thomas spoke before she was able to. They're waiting for us up ahead. It was a statement of fact, not a question, and there was no doubt in his eyes. Next to him, Grant had a similar look, dread, 
but below that steely determination. Joe nodded. Only a fool would not have people stationed at the access hatches, and those people are not fools. Agrippa is the only Starliner leaving in the next two months. Where else would we go? No one responded for a minute or so. Finally, Grant said, Why not have them stationed on the ship itself? That was one thing that had worried Joe to no end. If that were the case, there was a good chance they would never know it until far too late. Worse, they would never know whether they had cleared the ship out or not. Even if they made it out of the solar system, they would potentially be placing themselves into cryosuspension with hostiles on board, ready to do them in while they were helpless. Of course, that would doom the hiding troops to live out the rest of their days on a starliner that was hurtling off toward a far distant star. Joe found it hard to believe NSA people had the expertise to operate a starliner at all, let alone navigate it back to Seoul. No, that would likely be a suicide assignment. Hard to motivate a person to take a job like that. Especially when one of those sexy warships moored a couple dozen kilometers above Agrippa could just as easily get underway and blow Agrippa right out of the sky. That was not so likely, though. It would mean spreading word far and wide about what was going on here. Or maybe not. It would be easy to just make up a cover story that seemed plausible and give the order. To call what ran down Joe's spine right then a chill was to call a glacier a little pile of snow. That was an angle she had not ever really considered before. She had presumed the NSA would keep this in-house to avoid bad press and maybe to avoid losing face with other agencies. But what if they deemed stopping her so important that they threw all that to the wind? Well, there was no way to know, and frankly, she could not worry about everything. That would leave her incapable of taking action at all. An old friend had once said, sometimes you just have to grab sack and go for it. Walter had always been a colorful guy, but off as his turn of phrase was, he had a good point. Fortune favors the bold, and all that. Sometimes there was nothing for it but just to go and give it your all and see where things end up. Endlessly fretting accomplishes nothing. Joe shook her head and replied to Grant, safety precautions, remember? Though personnel are allowed on board the ship for another day. They would be putting their people in greater danger. What benefit could they gain? Grant pursed his lips, considering. Then after a moment, he nodded. Makes sense. Once we're on the ship, they've lost a bit of the initiative, too. Best to keep us off the ship to begin with. And they'll do that by meeting us at the airlock. Joe nodded. Okay, we'll hold them off long enough for you two to get aboard. I hope you have some way to stop them from falling after that, though. The implication was clear. He and his brother would not be around to offer resistance for long after the shots started flying. Joe swallowed, but kept her captain-in-charge face on full display. Soon as we're through, I'll close all the airlocks and break seal with the forward and aft loading rings. That should buy us enough time to initiate an emergency reactor startup and get underway. She frowned, a thought occurring to her. You could come with us, you know. Four will not use much more resources than two. There's no need. Thomas cut her off. Don't think we haven't considered that. He and Grant exchanged a long look that ended in mutual shrugs. If we see a maid to make it aboard without jeopardizing the mission, we'll take it, Thomas said finally. But don't wait for us. There was not much more to say after that. The remainder of the journey to the loading ring's hub passed uneventfully. Just as with the station itself, the loading ring access tubes were arrayed radially, with lift hatches revolving slowly around the hub's circumference. Also, as in the station hub, there were separate lifts and accesses for cargo and for personnel. Joe's group took care to avoid the former in choosing a lift, and before long they were ensconced in a lift, smaller than the one they had used earlier, but still spacious enough to easily accommodate the incubator's bulk. Along the side wall of the lift was a pallet, latched in place on the floor, where they could strap the incubator down. Loaders, smaller cousins of the unit from the docking bay, would be stationed adjacent to the lift doors at the bottom of the passageway. There would be no need to lug the weight of the incubator all the way to the ship. And a good thing, too. 
As always, when entering a lift from the zero-G side, the wall seemed to come up and crash into them, gently, and they found themselves pressed up against it until they pushed themselves down to the lift's floor. The Gs were not much, not yet, but they were enough to at least give them a sense of up and down. From the look on Grant and Thomas's face, that was quite a relief. Agrippa's rings were only a kilometer across, and the loading rings had been sized to fitter, so the trip to the lower level and the main access airlocks was quite a bit quicker than the trip up the station's ring had been, as was the increase in Gs. In just a couple minutes, Joe found herself flexing her muscles and working her joints as they hit full earth normal acceleration. It felt good, but also a little awkward, even after such a comparatively short time in zero-G. And then an electronic chime announced the lift's imminent arrival at deck one. Grant and Thomas unlimbered their rifles and raised them to a ready position. Malcolm did the same as Joe got the pallet unlatched from the deck. It was time to meet their fates, whatever it was. Okay, clearly there's uh, going to be... <laughs> Got to be some kind of standoff coming up here soon, right? Almost to the ship. Uh, the NSA guys can't possibly let them through, so... Kaplow, kaplow, kablooey. Maybe. Or, you know, or maybe not. Maybe the maybe the eh, Chandini and folks, they said, ah, screw it. You know what? We lost. No, we can't. Uh, no, never mind. It doesn't matter. We'll just let them go. I'm sure, yeah, that's probably more likely. <laughs> or not you'll have to see and tune in next week to find out what happens next though uh that or just go by the book uh you can get it from my site at ssnstorytelling.com or you can go to all the various other cool sites amazon barnes noble all that stuff uh i don't object to you going from them i just get more money if you come straight to me and frankly i prefer controlling my own destiny vice being uh controlled by others thus the reason why I even set up the web store to begin with. Um, up to you. Uh, if you don't want to buy the book, that's cool. You know, it's just a couple more weeks and we'll be done with this here. But do tell all your friends about it if you like it. And uh, spread the word about what I'm doing here. Appreciate it. Um, and that comes to my big announcement. Uh, you guys know that uh, I ran a Kickstarter a few months back uh, to... Uh, fund the uh, audiobook for the second book of my Glimmer Veil Chronicles series. You guys who've been around for a while, listening for a while, know about uh, Glimmer Veil because I've been, been writing those books forever. And in fact, uh, the, the did the audiobook of Glimmer Veil, the first book, as a podcast series here uh, way back at the beginning of the podcast, you know, two, three years ago. Um, I'll link to the to the to the videos and to and to the podcast episodes. For those in the in the show notes here, if you weren't on board for that at the time, um, anyway, so that Kickstarter that I ran a few months ago was pretty successful. Got the uh, audiobook of Outdweller, which is the second book in the series, done successfully, and uh, got it out to all the backers. And now it's up. You can actually it's up on my web store now. Uh, I think it's it's going through the publication channels for Audible and audiobooks.com and all the other Kobo and Google Play and all those places. So you can get it now too. Excuse me. And uh at some point down the road I'll include that in this podcast as well, because that's what I do. But after I finish Pericles, I think I'm gonna do short stories for a while just because it's been a while since we just done one story per episode, right? So I'm gonna get back to that for a little bit. Anyway, uh so that podcast went that that Kickstarter rather went so well and 
the experience was so cool, I decided to do another one. So I got another Kickstarter campaign going for the third book in that Glimmervale Chronicles series, which is called Tollard's Peak. Uh, you can see the art about the campaign going now. Um, it started a couple days ago, and uh, it's off to a slow funding start. Um, hoping to get that picked up a little bit here. I mean, it gets a 30-day campaign, and there's like 25 days left, something like that. So, yeah, plenty of time to fund it, but would really like to get it, get it done there faster. Uh, of course, I haven't really done a very great job of getting the word out about it yet, just because I've been distracted a little bit this week. Anyway, um, I hope you guys go check out the campaign and support it. Lots of good rewards there. Obviously, you hook everybody up pretty well who uh, supports and it's a good book good series of books lots of fun um so go check it out yeah i'll put the links here in the show notes as well as well as in the the back matter slides here um yeah spread the word and if you help uh get that thing going that'd be awesome all right that's all i got for this week uh stay tuned for next week we'll continue on the book all right have a good one and i'll talk to you later until then don't do anything i wouldn't do <laughs>